Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and this week's conversation is with Mary Lederleitner. Mary is the Managing Director of the Church Evangelism Institute at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. She's the author of Women in God's Mission and Cross-Cultural Partnerships. Mary earned her PhD at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and has an MA in Intercultural Studies from Wheaton College. She teaches as an adjunct professor at both institutions. On today's episode, Mary and I discuss the dangers of political idolatry and how, as pastors and ministry leaders, we can effectively lead in the midst of challenging political environments. Mary shares warnings from her experience studying other cultures and the potential devastation that can come with putting political allegiances ahead of Jesus. Mary suggests practical ways to address this in our churches, including the single best resource to help guide in these discussions. Such great insights, you'll want to definitely share these with others. So please join me in my conversation with Mary Lederlitner. Mary, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Such a joy to have you with us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Jason. I really appreciate it. Now, Mary, I would like to um, to talk a little bit about an article uh, that you recently wrote for Christian Today uh, entitled, Have Your Political Views Become an Idol? And uh, we find ourselves in a very unique election year, much different than what uh, most of us anticipated. Um, and we find ourselves at a time... Um, in in our history, where just kind of rhetoric, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of division, there's a lot of conversation going on, um, really aligning with um, different political issues, political parties. Uh, can you explain what you mean by political idolatry? You know, in other words, when does political affiliation or belief cross over into idolatry? Well, I think it happens when um, when we start putting our uh, political beliefs above scripture, <laughs> when we start putting um, the need to win a political argument over the need uh, to um, show the love of Christ and help people to understand our Lord. Um, I think a lot of times political idolatry kind of really raises its ugly head when people are afraid because most people fall into idolatry to look for a sense of security mm. when they're afraid. And so um, what we have right now is kind of a perfect storm, a pandemic, um, you know, lots of um, uh, racial uh, demonstrations and unrest, uh, a lot of economic distress. And so what happens uh, in the midst of that is people can start putting their trust in political leaders and um, giving their loyalty to political leaders over, um, over Christ. And it can happen in a lot of different ways. And so I wrote the piece to just help pastors think through this because it's a really important discipleship issue and a lot of the church um, across the U.S. is really struggling with it right now. Yeah, um, uh, w without a doubt, and, and we can see that just by, you know, if you jump on social media, you can see, you know, the struggle, and the struggle is very real in this. Um, and and I, I want to get into a little bit about, um, 
you know, how as pastors and ministry leaders we can work through this. But before before we dive in there, you, you mentioned this idea of when our, you know, security is threatened or we have, you know, this this fear that our, you know, that, that things aren't as secure, that oftentimes that's what moves us to idolatry. And so can you talk a little bit about this idea of of security and what what people are reaching for at this time? Um, you know, I think that um, I think what's happening is um, this is testing our discipleship. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's easy to say we believe a lot of things and we have faith until we're tested. And this is testing many of us to our core, um, what we're seeing, what's happening. And so, um, so I think that, um, I think sometimes we want the gospel plus the American dream, <laughs> mm. you know, it's like we conflate the two, like, like what Jesus promised is identical to the American dream and my Christianity now enables me to live into the American dream. But, but when we, we go to scripture, we see that, um, you know, Jesus saved us and accomplished a huge number of things on the cross. Um, but nowhere did he promise an easy life. He, he promised that God promised that he would always be with us. He would never leave us. He would never forsake us. And so, um, so I think it's just uh, where people are looking for security um, is just being revealed. Mm, <laughs> I think they've right. always been looking there, right. but it wasn't really revealed. And so I think these trials are revealing, um, maybe revealing the states of our hearts, revealing what we really are trusting in, um, revealing whether our deepest identity is to be a child of God or our, our deepest identity is a political affiliation, you know? So, um, so it's a great opportunity for pastors, an extremely challenging place to be, but I think a hugely important place for pastors to help um, walk their, you know, congregants um, through a process of really understanding what's going on in their hearts and and how to really um, lean into the gospel and let that transformation that's supposed to be happening in our lives really take place because of the gospel and the work of of Christ um, Christ's atonement in our lives. So, um, yeah, those are some of the things that, that come to my mind as I look at it. I think it's more just revealing what's been there maybe all along, but it just wasn't tested before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would I'd agree with that, Mary. And, and it's interesting how, and, and we see this in Scripture, trust Scriptures, you know, whenever things get challenging, um, that's when our character tends to be revealed, um, as you kind of mentioned, you know. For pastors, this is an opportunity definitely for discipleship. Um, But before pastors can kind of seize that opportunity for discipleship, there's also a danger that they must reflect upon. And that is, you know, that they themselves can be susceptible to falling into political idolatry. Um, Can you talk a little bit about um, the danger for pastors when it comes to 
uh, their political allegiances and, and how that kind of forms how they disciple, how they preach, um, you know, how they lead their congregations? Sure. I, I think um, some people might think, oh, it's easy for a person to talk about this because they probably don't have strong political views. Um, I have really strong political views. I've traveled a lot around the world. I, I read a lot. I listen a lot. I, I pay attention. I'm, I'm kind of, um, I, I just, uh, I probably could have been a political science major or a sociology major. I love it that much. Um, for me, um, this article came out of my own personal journey as the intensity of these conversations have increased, um, it's really come out of my my own walk with Christ in terms of um, you know how how am I going to be in this moment or in this time? So my hunch is many pastors and church folks listening today, you also have very strong views. Uh, we're allowed to have strong views. Um, we're supposed to be discerning and we're supposed to be reading the times and we're supposed to be integrating our faith into our lives. The problem that's happening is um, hate sells, division sells. It enables people to market and make a boatload of money off of people when they're angry and upset. They, they click more, they share more, they, hmm. you know, they watch right. more. And so what's happening in the midst of this environment is a, a larger ecosystem where there are, are forces trying to manipulate Christians uh, in a pretty significant way. And so, um, so we need to be able to step back and look at that. And first and foremost, if we're leading people, we've got to check our own hearts and and discern if we've fallen into political idolatry. Right now, it's very easy that it's happened. <laughs> it's, it's almost like the world is, is ushering us down this path. And, um, and, you know, depending which news outlet you listen to, uh, they'll lead you down it. And so in the article, I talk about this, be it the left or the right. Um, so, so there's this... Um, challenge right now, people being in a bubble where they're only reinforcing their own opinions by what they're listening to, and, and they're not allowing genuine challenge of thought or critical thinking sometimes. And then when they get into a social situation, it's all about just, you know, converting other people to our political view instead of being a child of God and hoping that the way we interact with them will cause them to want to know our Lord. <laughs> you know, right, right. it's a very, very different yes. conversation, you know? Um, so anyway, so I, I've really wrestled with this and, and this has come out of that uh, when I've realized what is really most important. Um, what is my life about? Um, what did Jesus really accomplish on the cross and, and how is that going to inform how I interact um, with friends and family members, and neighbors? Um, 
it has to start with the leader. It absolutely has to start with the leader because otherwise, if you talk to your flock about this, they're, I mean, they're going to do what you do, you know. Right. Um, they, I remember um, when I was in my doctoral program, one of the things we looked at was a sociology of religion literature, and they talked about explicit theologies and implicit theologies. And they said in churches, the explicit theology are the things the pastor says, uh, the creeds, the things that are written. And then they said, but every church has uh, implicit theologies, and that's how they work and how people live and how things get done. And they say when the two are aligned, sending the same message, there's tremendous spiritual growth. Mm. Um, but if the two are not aligned, the researcher said people always believe the messages in the implicit um, the implicit theologies, and those are the things that shape them, that shape their character, that shape their faith. And so for church leaders, you know, if you're not living this, if political uh, idolatry has kind of taken over your own heart, you can preach all you want about it. They're going to look at your life. And right, it's right. going to totally disconnect, and it's not going to accomplish anything um, or hardly anything, I would say. So. Yeah, no, that's good. And Mary, I would say that one of the things that has been kind of most concerning to me personally is, and in, in we see this from, from just people generally, you know, within the church, but we do see this from leaders as well, is this um, sense that they almost vilify those who take a differing position. And so, you know, politically, and it's almost as if um, if you disagree, then you are you are wrong and you are almost even you know anti god if you don't align can you talk to us a bit about this um just just how this has kind of come to a, a head this idea of um the challenge of disagreeing um even with brothers and sisters in christ in a way that um that doesn't you know, create uh, the person on the other side as being, you know, completely vilified or even even not even you know not even considered um, someone who's honoring God because they don't agree with your political view. Yeah, I think in the current um, political environment, it's um, it's this piece that has broken my heart the most. It, it's because it's become so toxic that it's dividing the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And when we look at what Jesus did on the cross through his blood, you know, he reconciled Jews and Gentiles, two groups that had never been reconciled, but through his blood, he reconciled them. He, rec he reconciled um, kind of racial barriers, gender barriers, um, you know, even... Uh, the most extreme cultural um, differences. They talked about barbarians and, you know, in Colossians 3, that the blood of Christ reconciled all these people. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how, if the blood of Christ has reconciled all these people, how are we dishonoring the blood of Christ by allowing a political party affiliation uh, to divide us. <laughs> I mean, it's, right. it's really bad, you know? And so the thing that for me, it just 
kind of freaks me out, to be honest, is that, you know, I've been in places where, where um, this rhetoric has gone further down the path. And now the other, whoever it is, is almost like no longer human and you can just destroy them. Mm. So like I've been to Auschwitz and you think, how in the world did this happen? Like Germany was the hub of Western theology. Right. You know, how did this happen? Or or Rwanda, when Rwanda happened, it was supposed to be the most Christian country in the world. You know, uh, when I did my, my master's degree years ago, I worked with Bosnian refugees and, and they would say, we never thought this could have happened here. We were so educated, you know, but, but people that called themselves Christians for political reasons, affiliated more with a destructive political view than with the gospel. And all kinds of people have been killed as a result through. So this is just all like in the last hundred years, you know. And so this idea that, that, that this could not become violent, uh, that that we can just keep playing along with this and the stakes aren't high and there's no real seriousness to it is a total farce. This is very serious. And so, you know, I look at it and I think, again, it comes back to discipleship. You know, Uh, I think of John 17, the world will know we're Christians by how we treat one another. I mean, if we're, treating one another like this, how are they going to see the gospel? They're not going to see the gospel. The the gospel is not going to shine through our relationships. So to me, it all comes back to what is our end goal? Hmm. Is it just to win an argument? Is it just to win an election? Which will, even whoever is in four years later, there'll be another election, then there'll be another election. Is, Is it is it to see the purposes of Christ furthered in our world that have eternal consequences? Or is it, is it just to bicker because um, a lot of people are pumping a lot of money into our media to get us mad at each other? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. I, that's, that's the bottom line to it, you know? And so we need a lot of discernment and, you know, I think of like the, the Matthew passage um, uh, where it talks about like, um, you know, uh, you heard before, you know, love your uh, neighbor, hate your enemy, whatever. But I tell you, you know, love your enemies. I mean, the whole, the whole gospel is about loving our enemies. Mm. You know, now the enemy is, is the person on the left or the right who's, opposite of us. That's the enemy. But how does Jesus tell us to treat even that person? One, they shouldn't be an enemy because they are also like saved through the blood of Christ, the same as you, you know. Um, But if you're going to view them as an enemy, at least, you know, follow God's guidance as to how you treat an enemy, (laughs) you know. So like Matthew 5, you know, he talks about how even if we call somebody a fool that we're in danger uh, of the fires of hell. I mean, my goodness, you know, 
our words matter. How we talk about one another matters. This is not, we're not off the hook here. Just because someone maybe we believe in who's a political leader isn't careful with their words does not mean as believers we can just not be careful with our words. We have a higher authority that we answer to um, and a higher calling in our lives down here to live out. So, so I don't know. That's why I, it keeps coming back to me to a discipleship issue and, and being clear about what, what ultimately, what is the ultimate authority um, that, that we need you know, to honor and follow. And, um, and it's not whoever has won the most recent, you know, political office. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you've mentioned discipleship a few times in our conversation. I completely agree that this is a discipleship issue. Uh, so Mary, I'm curious, what practical advice do you have for pastors who are um, preaching and leading during this election year? Yeah, I think that, um, that you could have a number, uh, you could have a certain sermon series. Uh, that would be really helpful. I was thinking about it last week. I've almost thought about uh, writing up a piece on it, but I found myself thinking of, of four kind of P's as far as a discipleship uh, process. What is our primary identity? What is our primary focus? What is our primary prayer? What is our primary goal? Hmm. And I kept thinking about in terms of primary identity, is it that we are children of God who are growing in, you know, to the, the image of God? Even every single person was at least made in the image of God. We see that in Genesis, but then we're also, that, that image has been marred and we're growing into it. That's the, the discipleship process. But also the, um, the, the primary focus, where are our eyes fixed? Um, you know, 1 John 3, 2 talks about, we don't know exactly what it'll be like, but we do know that in the end we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And I find myself thinking of like the Hebrews 12 passage, fix your eyes on the author and finisher of our faith who endured all of these difficulties, but did not lose heart. Um, I think sometimes when we fix our eyes, like, like you think of forgiveness. When somebody irritates you, it's hard to forgive them. But then you think, you fix your eyes on how Jesus forgave you, and all of a sudden your heart softens, and you're like, yes, I'm going to forgive that person. It's where our, our eyes are fixed. So... Um, so anyway, primary focus and primary prayer. I found myself thinking about just the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. That's a very central prayer for discipleship. And then lastly, like the goal. What's the ultimate goal? Um, is it to see Christ's work on the cross and the gospel expand? Is it to see people come to faith in Christ, you know, or is it just to win an argument? So I think that, that those, you could almost do a four-part series, one on primary identity, the next on primary focus, the third on primary prayer, the fourth on the primary goal. 
you could unpack those in detail or you could just do it in one sermon. You wouldn't hit them all very hard, but you'd give an overview. But you can compare and contrast that to a wrong identity, a wrong focus, a wrong prayer, a wrong goal. And what you see is what's kind of playing out right now um, across the country. So, yeah, so those are some of the things I've wondered about. Um, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. I mean, I think we're fooling our folks if we, if we send the message that somehow discipleship is easy. Hmm. I personally think, I mean, you know, I don't know how old you are. I'm 56 years old. I became a believer when I was 17. I thought after about 10 or 15 years, I would just naturally be kind of perfect. You know, that, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but I'm 56 and discipleship is just as challenging now as it was when I was 17 years right. old. I mean, this is not an easy task, task we're called to, you know, um, to help people grow and mature in, in faith. But but it is where our allegiance needs to be. <laughs> right, know? right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, now, Mary, I understand you did um, your dissertation research on young people, um, people in their in their twenties, and how they were either engaging or disengaging in faith communities. Have you noticed, you know, just from your research and just even, you know, um, just your regular work, you know, what I mean, in, in, in engaging and interacting with with young people. Have you noticed any differences between, um, you know, the generations concerning political idolatry? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, my sense is that humans are humans and mm -hmm. idolatry is an innately uh, vulnerable vulnerability for all humans, you know, right. maybe the idolatry is going to be money. Maybe the idolatry is going to be politics. Maybe the idolatry is going to be something different. Um, you know, there's a, there's a big shift. I think almost anybody working with emerging adults or young adults would say there's been a, a major shift towards uh, wanting the gospel to also speak to justice issues. So that's that's an eight in there, but I think um, I think emerging adults and young adults can make a, an idol can idolize or uh, come to a point of idolatry with social justice um, if it's removed or separated uh, from the gospel. So I think that the piece to me that always uh, comes to mind is it's where's the ultimate allegiance. So when somebody's ultimate allegiance is just to see something, one thing change here, and no matter what the costs, we will do that. Well, I don't think as believers that we can say no matter what the cost of anything. I think we constantly have to come back and we have to live out our life um, according to scripture. I, I was really touched recently watching John Lewis's uh, uh, funeral. Mm -hmm. I mean, here was a man, uh, I, I, I really didn't know the, the depths of his own faith, but he was a person, you know, beaten multiple times, abused multiple times, but he refused 
to respond in violence back, you know? You're like, wow, I mean, that sounds like Jesus. Mm -hmm. But did he accomplish a lot? I mean, he went from being a, a sharecropper's son to, to having a funeral that was like honored throughout the country, you know? <laughs> right, right. And so I think emerging adults and young adults also need to see how discipleship informs their deep desire for, for justice. And again, they need pastors and leaders to help them wrestle through that and discern what that looks like. And there's not a one size fits all, but the, the, principles of scripture we have to be willing to to bow to god's commands on our lives you know i mean we can't just throw throw stuff out and say well no you know i just want to do this this will further things it doesn't matter who gets destroyed or harmed in the process um you know it's not a blank slate that we have to work with we have commands <laughs> love your enemies, right, right. <laughs> you know, pray for those who persecute you. There's all kinds of commands, you know? So, um, but I think that that's the power for pastors at this time is to help people integrate that and understand that. And it looks different for the different generations sometimes, not always, but, but sometimes and it, it looks different, but, um, but it's such an important calling and and it's so needed. I'm really not sure. Well, I mean, there have been really difficult times throughout history, but I'm concerned that if pastors don't rise to this challenge, that what we're going to see down the path is, is going to be pretty horrific. And we have enough examples um, to see it. I wished um, I had not studied so much about intercultural conflict over the years. I wish I hadn't studied rhetoric before ethnic cleansing events and what it looks like. I wish I didn't know some of the things I know. I would be happier. <laughs> so, but but I have I have studied that over the years and I've seen it and I've been in places where it's happened and it just honestly it haunts me as I see what's playing out. So I really do think pastors need to rise to the occasion here and and use this as a powerful teaching moment and just start helping their folks realize that this is this is serious and it's serious to to what will play out but it's also shows whether they're serious or not about the gospel and yeah. all the work that Christ did on the cross you know are they going to undo that you know, right. uh, by their actions, are they not undo it? Are they going to model something totally different? Right, right. You know, um, so yeah, it's it's really a challenging time. I, I hear friends who are pastors really talking about, even with like opening churches. You know, some people are furious that the church closed at all. <laughs> Others right. are like, no, it shouldn't be open yet, and you know. Uh, masks have become pol politicized instead of it being, hey, let's just protect people, right. you know, let's love people. No, it's it's a, my freedom, and it's now whether what political angle you're going to spin on it. So, 
you know, it's, it's not an easy time for pastors, but I think it could be one of their finest hours, you know, how they handle this time. This, this could go down in history as being one of their finest hours. Right. Um, but I got to tell you, it's easy to just shy away from it and, and just not even go there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and Mary, I'm curious um, because you have um, obviously uh, studied a lot, as, as you mentioned. Um, I mean, your, your master's was in intercultural studies. And so you have spent a lot of time looking at different move- movements historically within cultures and, and what that looks like. And, and um, so, so I guess the question I have for you is, Whenever you kind of step back and look at what's taking place now in our country, and, and taking place not just in the country, but even more specifically within the church, and how things are becoming more politicized within the church, and um, you know, there's there's becoming it seems like a bigger and bigger gap between the two sides of um, you know political issues um, and political affiliation, even within the church. What? What like um, resources or what um, like if a pastor's listening in? I guess my question is: if a pastor's listening in and says, "Yes, I recognize the same thing, and I want to be sure that um, I am not um, slipping into political idolatry myself, or I need to be able to speak into this because my people see other churches, other ministry leaders who are doing this, and they see the division because it's no secret. I mean, that's one of the big things you see the division even within the church." Where can they they turn, Mary, to to kind of dig in a little bit more, to learn more? Are, are there resources that you've come across or that you're aware of that might be helpful in this time? You know, um, I um, as I think about that, to be quite frank, mm-hmm. there are a lot of there are a lot of books. Um, lots of groups are putting out a number of books that are helpful. You could. I've, I've published a couple books with InterVarsity Press. They, they have done a lot in, in some of these areas, but I actually think it's scripture. Hmm. I believe the word of God is so powerful. I believe the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to change hearts. And so, you know, um, I tend to think that you're going to get a lot further if you start there. Start on passages about how you treat your enemies. Hmm. Start on, on passages about how, um, how Jesus interacted with, you know, government officials, you know. Um, look at, like, literally what the blood of Christ has done. You know, there are so many passages about just, um, you know, I think of um, Ephesians 2 or um, 1 Corinthians 12 or Mm. Galatians 3 or Colossians 3. I mean, just, just ponder these things, you know, I mean, just ponder them with your people. I, I, for me, I worked with Wycliffe for 20 years. I just believe in the word of God. I believe I've seen the word of God totally change cultures and people and, you know, uh, improve situations and heal brokenness. Um, but my concern is that it's, it's just a, a lack of deep reflection, you know, mm-hmm. on the word of God. Right. I mean, like first John two, you know, first John two, 
Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and um, there is nothing in them that that would cause that will cause that will not cause them to stumble. But anyone who hates their brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness, and they don't even know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. I mean, just. First John, preach first John, you know, <laughs> slowly or have people do think about it, give them questions to ponder it. Um, so, so I don't know. To me, I just think that that's where we, we need to be and, and we need to root people there. And if they're rooted in those things, they'll be able to navigate uh, what's coming their way. If they ask God, if they learn how to just start their day by asking God to, you know, know how to use their words, like study the book of James, you know, um, help me control my tongue today. Right. I mean, they're, they're just basic sorts of things. And, um, and I, I really personally think uh, that it's the word of God is going to be the strongest kind of hammer to break the hardness, you know. Yeah, that's and, and there are a number of books out there that are integrate scripture and all of that. Um, and they're good, good to read. But but I would I would start with scripture. It's something that everybody in the pew will agree with. Versus if you pick a certain author and then if they think that author is too a little too left or right, a little too right, right, then they call I mean, then they call into question the book and well, yes. maybe I don't like that publisher because maybe they published this one book that right, I didn't right. like out of the two hundred they published that year. I mean, whereas if you start with scripture, you're you're you know, it's a really solid place to stand. And, and the Holy Spirit, you know, will work through that and um, change hearts. So, so that's, where I would, that's where I would start. I mean, obviously, there's all kinds of growth and development through a number of books. And so I'm not anti-book. Yeah, no, no. I, I love that answer, actually. <laughs> so. um, because I, I think it's, it's true that, um, that, you know, if you really dig in and you start walking through uh, the words of Christ, and you start, you know, studying through uh, what he says about the kingdom, um, you know, and you start looking at, uh, you know, how how Paul was responding to the early church, uh, those churches, and like you said, the book of James, you know, it's hard to argue um, with <laughs> with what is presented, and uh, so I think that's a, you know, I, I actually love that answer, Mary, so thank, thank you for that. Um, Mary, I, I just appreciate so much you taking the time to be with us uh, today. If people want to connect with you or, you know, any of the ministry that you're doing as you are, as you are serving, um, you know, at the Church Evangelism Institute and, and those types of things, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, probably the easiest is um, my email. Um, at, so I'm the managing director of the Church Evangelism Institute um, at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. So they could email me there. Um, my my email address is all lower caps Mary dot. Then it's my last name, which is really long. It's Letter Leitner. It's spelled L E D as in David, E R L E I T as in Teresa, N as in Nancy, E R 
um, at Wheaton, W-H-E-A-T-O-N dot E-D-U. Um, so they could send me a note there. Um, and we, we work with a lot of churches. Our, that, that ministry is focused on helping um, church uh, leaders working with uh, lead pastors or senior pastors uh, change the DNA of their churches so that they um, really grow through conversion growth um, through people coming to faith in Christ. So, um, so that's, that's the email I check most frequently <laughs> because Excellent. I'm in it all day. Very well, Mary. Well, uh, and we'll have um, links. We'll have the information for those of you who are listening in in the show notes. Um, so if you're driving down the road and you didn't get that email address, you can <laughs> check the show notes and uh, and get those there. So Mary, again, um, absolute pleasure having you with us. Thank you for your voice in the church. And thank you for helping us as we are navigating um, what has turned out to be a, a very challenging year in so many ways. And as we're moving uh, closer to the uh, the election, um, there are lots of conversations taking place, and we just thank you for your wisdom um, as, as you're speaking into the lives of those who are leading in the church and uh, just uh, helping us as we navigate this time. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me, and I just think uh, what your listeners are doing, it's so significant. So uh, God's grace to all of you in the midst of these times. Amen. Thank you, sister. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. We hope you are finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we would appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcast so they can benefit as well. Thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send an email to podcasts at churchleaders.com or connect with me on Twitter. You can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app, available for both Apple and Android. So be sure to check out FaithPlay. Until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.